right ramblers let's get rambling my name is steve and thank you for listening so this is a, a bit of a new era for for me these films are the juice uh it's my first episode with a guest uh it's my first episode with kind of a changing format from episode to episode uh we'll talk about different things uh and always have a guest on on the podcast as well um i really enjoyed having having guests on um they were uh, david and alan from the i finally watched podcast uh, and they were absolutely amazing they put a lot of time and effort into preparation for the for the episode um and they also gave me a good three hours of their time to talk through our top five performances from paul thomas anderson films so um guys just another special thank you to you for for all the time and effort that you put in i really appreciate it and uh, i really enjoyed the time that we we spoke together as well um it was uh, it was a really good discussion um it was great to find out more about yourselves and the uh, and the podcast hopefully um uh anyone who's listening to this right now and and here's the uh uh, here's what Alan and David have to say about their podcast, how they started, some of the episodes that they've done. Um, hopefully you can take the time to to find their podcast on Spotify or um, anywhere you can listen to podcasts and, and give it a listen. Um, maybe give them a review and, and maybe drop them a line on uh, Instagram or, or Twitter because they are very... Um, uh, they are responsive to to any kind of communication that you might have with them um they're really great guys and uh yeah just absolutely honored to have them on as our as the first guest on for me these films are the choose um as i say we talked about um our top five performances from paul thomas anderson films dave and alan had the time to talk about their podcast and we also spent a little bit of time recommending other podcasts that we listen to and um would like other people to to give a listen to as well as as they're also um very good and and deserve to have a listen so um so yeah i hope that everybody enjoys the episode i had a great time recording it and uh really looking forward to uh, to recording the next one we we have a guest on as well um as always uh i'm kind of always active on on facebook um the page for the for the podcast is, is the name of it so it's for me these films are the juice if you search that in facebook you'll find me um on instagram uh my name my name is these films are the juice and on twitter which is probably where i'm most active is uh, the, is films are the juice um so please feel free to hit me up on on any of those platforms i'd be delighted to hear from anyone and um yeah i'll definitely uh definitely respond to you and uh, and see what you have to say so thank you very much for for listening and uh, yeah i hope you enjoy the episode thank you Okay, so I'm delighted and proud to say that my first guests on For Me, These Films Are The Juice are Alan and David from the I Finally Watched podcast. Guys, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, really appreciate it. We're excited to be here. No, thank you so much. It's really, um, really great. And um, yeah, and I'm so glad you guys are, are kind of the first guests as well. Um, one, of, one of the main reasons I kind of asked you guys, especially to be the, the first guest was, um, I don't know if you guys remember, you were pretty much the first podcast that i kind of reached out to and got in touch with when i kind of first started when um we both kind of did psycho around the same time (laughs) yeah no i remember i uh i think we listened to each other's because we did psycho around the same time and then um so i i'm i'm really the one you reached out to because i do the twitter and david does the instagram I'm, I'm um, okay right you do it you do it that way great okay yeah it's just you know i gotta give him something to do or else you know he's just really contributing nothing to 
to our podcast. Um, besides, besides editing the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I listened to you and I really li- kind of liked how you didn't have a co-host. It was all you and it was um, extremely well organized. And, you know, we're part of a, uh, a podcast group on Twitter and always looking for new members. So I asked the group and they gave you a listen and they were like, oh, yeah, bring him on. And I was like, perfect. Great. Yeah, no, exactly. So, yeah, I just wanted to say a yeah, huge thank you for that because you guys introducing me to that kind of podcast community as well really kind of opened things up and kind of um, helped build my confidence as well. You know, obviously we're, we talk to each other and give each other tips and um, point each other in different directions. So, so yeah, no, just wanted to say a big thank you to you guys for that. Um, Alan, I do have to say, just to go behind the scenes here before we started recording, you know, David was straight on, no technical problems at all, you know, so don't don't give him too much of a hard time, you know, we had a struggle and wait for you. <laughs> that's that's true, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I think I just kind of wanted to start off the, um, the, the podcast just kind of maybe handing over to you guys a little bit, really, so you guys can just kind of talk a little bit about your podcast, um, uh, kind of what it is, what you talk about, what you, what you do, how it how it came about. Um, so yeah, I suppose just if I can hand over to you guys just to tell us a little bit about um, your podcast. Uh, okay, yeah, uh, David, you want me to start? Uh, yeah, if that's what you want, yeah. <laughs> so David and I have known each other for uh, what is it, almost five years now. Um, uh, yeah, I think twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah, and we met in Atlanta. Uh, I just moved to Atlanta. Actually, you you moved a couple months before me, isn't that right? I believe so. And um, we actually <laughs> we met playing Pokemon Go because if you remember, twenty sixteen twenty seventeen was probably the height of that game, um, and everyone was out and about playing it, and communities were basically formed around it. So uh, David and I and his wife and my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife um we all lived in basically the same neighborhood so we used to run into each other all the time and that was like i don't that was just the beginning of our friendship and then i moved to orlando he moved back to jacksonville uh the pandemic hit and we talked on the phone um almost every day about the movies we watched the night prior okay yeah <laughs> and i was the one who was just basically like you know <laughs> we what could just we- start a podcast and other people could hear <laughs> about our opinions and then when he when he said that i was like well Alon, not very great on following through so i won't actually have to do this <laughs> and now two years later <laughs> we're still doing it that's amazing because i well for, first of all um i thought you guys were kind of like childhood friends the way you kind of you know the just the kind of banter and the the um uh the kind of the friendship between you guys it just kind of sounds like you've known each other for for kind of much longer than, than only five years well i think i think uh when we met too you know we obviously how we met was pokemon go but then i think quickly we figured out that we both really liked movies and so mm-hmm. a lot of the time we would hang out was watching movies and then making fun of each other's opinions on movies because like throughout my life and then you know Alon went to film school but then throughout my life I went through a lot of periods where I was watching just like a ton of movies I was trying to keep up with all like the the Oscar nominated stuff and 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 you know go through that and then like at that point 
in Atlanta, I was in a period where I was like starting to watch more and more. And then, yeah, as we were, as the pandemic hit and you had so much time to watch movies, we're like, oh, let's, you know, really get into it. Yeah. And it's also just a great excuse to force yourself to watch movies. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the main assignment. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. No, sorry. Sorry, Mom. You go ahead. I was just going to say, I I think two things really motivated um, the podcast. One was realizing how many classic movies that we just have not watched, Mm -hmm. uh, have not seen. And it's like, you know, for me, embarrassingly enough, um, I've never seen The Godfather or Citizen Kane. And like being a film student, like uh, David said, yeah, how how can I say, oh, I'm a connoisseur of films and I've never seen, you know, freaking Citizen Kane, right? <laughs> so this this was, was started with that. And then also I always felt like uh, David had a very opposite opinion on what I considered a good movie and what he considered a good movie. Okay, yeah. So uh, I was like, you know, a banter between that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Sorry, go on, David. Sorry, you you go ahead now. We keep interrupting you. No, 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 not at all. No, like I say, it is, it is for you guys. I just have to say as well, the Pokemon Go thing, my son uh, is a Pokemon obsessed uh, at the minute, and um, he's been asking me to get the Pokemon Go app for months and months, and it was, I'm sure you guys know, it was, in, it was International Pokemon Day um, a couple of weeks ago, so I promised him I'd download it on that day, so every day since, it's like, can I go on the Pokemon Go app? Can I go on the Pokemon Go app? Um, so, uh, so yeah, we're constantly out walking around trying to fight Pokemon and <laughs> battling gyms and all this kind of stuff, so um, so yeah, no, you said that there, just kind of really, um, really hit me. Um, you guys, um, so yeah, you said it's kind of been two years now, I, I was looking kind of back at your episode lists, and so you guys started in May 2020, is that correct? So obviously, literally, just as you got, as we kind of got into the pandemic and, and kind of lockdowns and stuff. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Alan called me and we talked about starting it in April. We were so we were like a month in, and then because I remember, I think I still have an email where we emailed a list of movies. We went through uh, <laughs> in order to be frugal. We went through all of our streaming services. Right. And just wrote down movies that like either we wanted to do because we hadn't seen or yep. we had seen and wanted to do and hopefully the other person hadn't because that's kind of the basic construct. Uh-huh. Um, and then we ended up just doing none of those. I don't, like If we have crossed some of those off the list, it's like happenstance. Because I don't <laughs> think we've looked at that list since. But we recorded, I think, four or five episodes. Um, and I remember the first episode we did is actually our second episode. It's What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And I started listening to it after Alan edited it and I said I called him like 10 minutes in I was like we can't release this I was like this is I was like this is garbage no one's gonna want to listen to this and then he was like well hold on let me try to edit it more and he did and I was like okay I can at least listen to it now yeah and then we made ex machina our first episode because I was like this is a lot better it's um did you guys have any did either of you have any kind of experience with doing podcasts or anything like that at all beforehand i didn't you know i uh, david didn't i tried starting a few youtube channels uh, Mm -hmm. through the years and i like i said this was probably the laziest way that david and i could get our opinion across just because the trouble for me on like being disciplined enough to film edit and upload a youtube video was (laughs) was too much and especially having a co-host kind of checking you and um, motivating you to get the next episode out. I, I don't think 
either one of us could have probably done it alone. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it, it sounds, um, you know, all the episodes sound sound great. And I was looking at it as well, just 115 episodes I, I kind of saw on there. So um, you guys are obviously, uh, yeah, keeping at it and, and pumping them out. So that's that's amazing. And um, so, yeah, I mean, as you kind of mentioned, it's it's been kind of me on my me on my lonesome for the first kind of um, seven episodes. But I was um, lucky enough to, to be on with the guys from, from the Recasted, Recasted 2.0 um, a few weeks ago. And that just just recording that was just so much fun just so nice to speak to other people and bounce off other people you know and not just having to be um having to just listen to listen to myself and um i think you guys have had guests on on your podcast as well before i'm pretty sure the sicario one i was listening to you had a you had a guest on there yeah we've we've had a couple of guests um most of them have been friends of david's past Mm -hmm. um and, and present. I, <laughs> I didn't mean to sound <laughs> yeah. like no they stopped becoming his friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then for the notebook episode, we had uh, my wife on. Um, oh, great. But actually, I think my f- <laughs> my favorite guest experience is probably our Ocean uh, trilogy. Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, and Ocean's 13. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, whoever came up with that idea it was our best idea. I think it might have been you, Alon. I... I mean, it, if it was our best idea, it probably definitely was me. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I think what happened there is Ocean's Eleven was a review that David and I did, um, yeah. and then Ocean's Twelve, we brought on my wife, just like how Julia Roberts was brought on to okay. the team in Ocean's Twelve, and then Ocean's Thirteen, we brought on David's wife and my wife, so we grew as Ocean's team grew, and right. that was. Okay. That was really fun for us, yeah. Oh, good. But then, in order to subtract for the Ocean's 8, Alon's just going to solo it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to solo it by not watching it at all. So. Well, let's say surely for that one, you should have the you should have your wives do that one. Uh, by themselves? <laughs> they wouldn't do it. My wife barely did the Ocean's 13. She was like, I don't want to do this. But then as she was doing it, she wouldn't stop talking, so... She got into it while she was doing it. Yeah, yeah, she was really into it. <laughs> she, she was like, oh, I have opinions. Great, okay, so, no, that's that's brilliant. Thank you guys for, for obviously, um, yeah, just kind of telling us a little bit about the about the podcast and um, anyone who's listening that hasn't um, listened to the I Finally Watched podcast before, um, it's definitely worthwhile. Um, like like the guys said, they talk about a film that either both of them haven't seen before and have watched it the first time or, or one of them. And, um, and yeah, just kind of talk about their opinions, which, uh, as they mentioned, are often, um, often different from each other. Um, and how is the best way or the preferred way that you find, that you kind of ask people to listen to you? Is it kind of Apple Podcast or Spotify? What's, what's your kind of preferred route? We're literally on anything. Okay. Um, so anything and everything is appreciated. Um, what, what we really like is not, not so much feedback, but just to know that people are enjoying listening to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they ever feel free to comment, I mean, they can find us on Twitter at Finally Watched um, or Instagram at I Finally Watched. So we, we always love to hear from people. So don't be shy. Yeah, cool. Anything else, that, David, for, for you with the, with the podcast or anything? No, no. I, yeah, Juan's done a great job of finding as many different podcast networks as possible and getting us on there. So it, we, we try and cover everything. Cool. 
yeah and and you guys are obviously really active on on twitter and and uh, instagram as well so yeah they're very um always very open to uh yeah kind of comments and and feedback and um always post uh, post a lot of stuff on there as well so definitely definitely drop them a, a like and a follow on uh, instagram and, and twitter as well okay, thank you guys so much for that so the the next bit um the next section which again is a, a bit of a new section for for the um for the podcast is going to be like a recommend recommendations uh section so i'll kind of just talk through a couple of um podcasts that i've been listening to recently um are you guys i'm, sh- I'm sure have, would have heard of these ones so if you guys got any comments on it at all please uh please let us know and um yeah and then i'll if uh, if there's any that you guys listen to on the regular that you want to give a shout out to as well um please uh, please feel free to mention them um so the first one I was going to mention was, I, I mentioned them earlier, um, Recasted 2.0. Um, so this is Wayne and Jesse. Uh, and basically what they do is they recast films which are more than 20 years old um, with modern actors. Um, so they've done quite a few episodes now. Uh, a couple of the ones that they have done are The Matrix, um, Big Lebowski, uh, Back to the Future. They did that with another podcast called field of screens as well another british podcast uh and they recently did the shawshank redemption which um which i was on um so so yeah i really enjoyed um doing that one with them even though i don't know if you guys have, have listened to that one there's a lot of anti-british stuff going on which i don't know where that quite came from but um it was uh, it was all good fun um so yeah no they're they're always worth a worth a listen have you guys checked those guys out at all i have not but i will I, that's interesting every once in a while um I think what what was it? It was Face Off, where you and I, Alon, were trying to decide who would be, yeah, like recasted <laughs> if they did it today. The nowadays one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I will check that out. That sounds super interesting. Yeah. No, I, I've listened to Recasted 2.0, uh, especially the episode you did with them. Um, oh, cool. Cool. And uh, sorry. No, no, I was just about to say who, who's uh, obviously you don't just because you're on my podcast, Alan. Don't have to say me, but what's uh, which uh, recasting did you prefer? Oh my god, um, oh, who was it? Was it um, Jesse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he went with yeah. James McAvoy for um, uh, Andy Dufresne. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not bad. It, it's not bad, right? And and I think just you know, I go, I go, um more like an a process of an elimination when I'm when I'm looking at their um all of their picks and I'm like, you know, I can see that, I can see that. Or it's like, okay, who who picked um this role for this uh character? It's like, oh, definitely not this guy. <laughs> so then that entire person's yep. like choice is eliminated for me. And it's probably not the best way to do it, but that's that's kind of how I do it. So Jesse had the most uh, ones that I agreed with, and I and uh, and none of the ones that I thought was a complete abomination to the character. So, <laughs> oh, God, I tell you what, he um, he picked uh, he put Henry Winkler in it, which I just you know, some people, a lot of people seem to like that one. I just couldn't couldn't get on board with it at all. However, for that character, the Fonz, yeah, yeah, but you can't put the Fonz in in the Shawshank Redemption, definitely not. Um, but who's uh, the Fonz playing? Brooks. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking, thing... I was thinking Albert Brooks for Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? He's, got the, he's got the age on it. Yeah. Make it a bit more, a bit funnier, a bit of a funnier character. <laughs> they they gave me a really, they gave me a really hard time on that one because it's probably a bit of a um, silly pick on my part, but I picked uh, Jackie Earl Haley for that part. Um, and they gave me such a hard time for, for that. They were like, Freddy Krueger? You, you can't have Freddy Krueger as Brooks. What are you talking about? 
It's a darker pick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely give those guys a listen. They're they're great. Um, the uh, the another one I've been listening to recently, which isn't a, a film podcast, actually, is um, everything the Everything's Effed podcast. Um, actually, I was just going to mention them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I've only really started listening to them the last maybe month or two. A um, couple of their recent episodes, just just the titles, I, I kind of was really drawn to. So it's um, Asia and Monica, and um, yeah, I mean they're. I, I don't know about you, Alan, but the the thing that really kind of gets me with them is just how, that basically what the what their podcast is. Sorry, just to start off with, they talk about. Um, just kind of a different topic on each episode so they usually like kind of some kind of social topic topic or um a relationship topic something like that um so they're both they're both married they both have kids so it's maybe something around that it's either kind of you know around um sex or parenting or um socializing that that kind of thing um so they did one on like toxic masculinity they did one on social conformity the other week and um they're just very very open and honest you know about their own private lives on the on the podcast which i find very um i, I just find great to um, just amazing to listen to and the the toxic masculinity one especially i just kind of listened to and i was like wow god just the couple of things they said really kind of hit home and made me maybe really think about you know so um so yeah no, they're, they're good they're good and, yeah and you know when you when you have a <laughs> when you have a subject like toxic masculinity or you know any anything really what they talk about you can really go two ways in an, in an opinion, and I'm and I'm glad their opinions are what they are because I was like, yeah. okay, I can listen to you guys. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, no, they're they're, they're amazing. Um, and, and again, another one to, to recommend to you, David, if you if you haven't had a chance to listen to those guys. No, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and sorry, just the, the third one I was just going to do. Um, I just from listening to to you guys and, and speaking to you today. If you haven't listened to to the to this one, I really highly recommend it. I think you'd both love it just from the sense of humor that the hosts have and and also what they talk about it's called the movie wars podcast um and it's hosted by three guys kyle kyle drew and phil uh, and basically they just pit two movies together kind of either in the same genre or um uh, just very kind of similar to each other uh, and they have about eight or nine different car- categories um and then they just decide on on the winner at the end when they vote vote through it and um i found out about them on the um Shawshank Redemption episode I did with the recasted guys because they said their latest one was um Apocalypse Now versus Platoon and I was like <laughs> I, I have to stop recording right now and listen to that immediately um so yeah literally as soon as I stopped with those guys I, I listened to that and then it went into No Country for Old Men versus There Will Be Blood um Godfather versus Goodfellas Heat versus The Departed and then Seven versus Silence of the Lambs so I've listened to those episodes back to back to back to back um and they're just they're just brilliant. They're really, really funny, but really, really in-depth and analytical about the films as well. So they, you, you just learn a lot about them um, as well, things that you never knew about. Um, either of you guys ever heard, of the, ever heard of that one at all? I don't think I David not. has, um, but I I have seen them on Twitter, but I haven't listened to them. I mean, you if your Twitter is anything like my Twitter, Steve, you know that it's just full of different people's indie podcasts yeah yeah no definitely definitely <laughs> uh to the point where it's just like where are you supposed to really you know keep up um, yeah no, yeah I, I suppose it's like a big part of, of of this section really is just to find those you know the, the kind of like um 
you know the diamonds in the rough or the other kind of you know the ones that really stand out that i found just to kind of let people know about but but that one um yeah i, I think you guys would, would absolutely love it no that they sound great yeah we'll definitely give them a listen yeah no it's that's that's cool um lovely is is there anything that um you guys been listening to recently that you want to maybe mention uh, I mean, the only the only podcasts I listen to are really big ones. Um, so I listen to the Rewatchables, although it kind of sometimes feels like another assignment, right? Because like <laughs> I have to listen to what we're I have to watch the movie we're doing, and then I uh, my wife a while back got me a poster that's got like a hundred movies you have to watch before you die. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to work my way through that. Okay. Uh, the Oscars are coming up. I'm trying to watch all those. So it's like sometimes it becomes a little much, and then. Sometimes I'll just listen to those episodes without watching it because, you know, I like the, if I like the people who are on that day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I listen to that and then kind of the, the big picture, which we were talking about a little before we started recording, um, which is, you know, just something that gets you more into movies right here and other people talking about movies they love. So, yeah, but yeah, I I'll listen to the one. I'm definitely going to listen to the ones you just uh, mentioned. Yeah, no, that, that, no, that'd be, that'd be great. I love the, um, uh, I love the draft uh, episodes they do on, on the big picture absolutely and anything with um any of the rewatchables with with chris ryan on it um i I always love listening to i always think of him as like my kind of podcasting role model he's kind of the the person i was going to look to the like that's that's kind of how i want to sound and come across when i'm when i'm kind of doing a podcast you know yeah absolutely yeah how about yourself alan um you know i i try to listen to at least one episode this sounds bad but i try to listen to at least one episode of everyone from from um our podcast group yeah um and then obviously more episodes on on ones that i'm more synetic with i like just you know I, I feel i like to feel connected to the people who um i'm listening to if that makes sense yes um yeah. kind of like a, a main character in a movie you you want to feel like that connection that you have with them um so I, I actually really like the um, the they changed their name recently, but the the art house drive-in picture. Yes, yes. Um, they're fun, and I and I really like the the movies that they pick. They they pick kind of more of um. It's kind of like topical. Like for this month, I know that they were doing uh, the Zodiac Killer, so they yeah. did like yeah. four or five episodes on different films of the Zodiac and different kind of media outlets from from that topic so have you listened to their um their actual uh, zodiac film uh episode um so i actually listened to their anniversary reboot yep uh is that the one you're talking about yeah the one that's like it's like about a good three and a half three and a half hours <laughs> i was gonna say the one that's like four hours long <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the epic one yeah so i'm about halfway in there i, I gotta okay. finish the other half but yeah no yeah. it was super interesting yeah definitely it, yeah it took me a good probably yeah five or six maybe listens to, to get through the whole thing but um yeah no i stuck with it because it was it was just great some of the i mean the research those guys did in did into that was was incredible and um they're actually gonna be the next guest next month on the on this oh on, fun on the awesome yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, really looking forward to to that. 
Great. Okay. So um, the actual topic of discussion today is Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, and the three of us are going to run through our personal top five performances in um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films, even though one of us has got six performances in there. But we'll, you'll find out who that is when we get into those. Um, but, uh, but first of all, guys, I just wanted to kind of ask you, because I know I'm pretty sure you guys have done five Paul Thomas Anderson films on, on the podcast, I think. Um, just kind of what, uh, what is, what are your kind of, uh, Alan, Alan, I'll go to you, you first. What are your kind of general thoughts on him as a, as a filmmaker and his, his films in general? No. So he's, he's a, he's a great, uh, director, obviously. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't need my opinion on that. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's, it's kind of odd. Cause what we like to do sometimes is talk about, and like you said, we've done just about five of his films, um, We've also done a lot of Scorsese films. We've done a lot of Bombback films, and we've done a few Peter Berg films. Mm-hmm. And I think I think this discussion discussion came up when we were talking about it was either Friday Night Lights or The Kingdom. Um, what tone or like what kind of feel do you get from a Peter Berg film? Mm-hmm. And it's not like a as obvious as say like a, a Wes Anderson, right? Like we, five seconds into a Wes Anderson film, you know it's a Wes Anderson. So uh, then we were talking about, you know, what really is a, a Paul Thomas Anderson film? Um, what kind of feeling do you get? And for me, I think it's just epicness. Yeah. He he has such a... His movies are long, so that definitely helps with his world building. Um, but he is very character focused. That's why I was so on board when you said, Oh, let's do a, a character performance countdown with, with PTA characters. Cause I was like, yeah, that's basically his craft is creating these super well fleshed out characters that you feel like by the end of the three hour movie, you, you, you've spent years with them, you yeah. know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it, there's no, even the, even the minor characters in a, in a lot of his films, they're just, it's a lot, it's a lot of the Coen brothers in that way, I suppose. They feel like they've got big backstories behind them and they're fully fleshed characters. It's not just someone stepping in to, um, to yeah, just kind of maybe do a do a cameo role or something. It's They all feel like they've got kind of substance to them, def, definitely. Um, um, David, do you remember kind of the first introduction you had to, to Paul Thomas Anderson or the, or the kind of the when you really knew about him as a filmmaker or the, or the first film you watched? Yeah, so the first movie I saw of his was There Will Be Blood in theaters. Okay. Um, and this was a time when I was like really into trying to watch all the movies I could. And what's funny is like I love that movie. It's it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I was really upset at the time that uh, that did not win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And that was the only movie of Paul Thomas Anderson's that I watched for until we started doing the podcast actually which is kind of funny because of how much i liked it um and then the second one i did we it's the first one we did for the podcast of his we did the master and if you watch those two movies as your first two of his you think oh wow like this is a super serious director very serious guy um does these kind of like really sort of dark movies where it's like you see the worst in humanity Mm -hmm. um and the worst in people 
And then you watch the other stuff, you're like, oh, okay, so it's not all that. You know, it's kind of like a journey <laughs> if you watch them in, in more of an order. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, I had a very different view of him based on those two. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is, you know, my picks, I think I picked a lot of, you know, I picked some people that I think are obviously like some of the greatest actors. But what he does very well is he puts people in roles that they are meant to like i don't for the ones i have i don't know that anyone else could have played that i couldn't imagine seeing anyone else because of how perfect they are Got it. so okay. i think he ha does a great job of like having people in the right roles yeah i know I, I completely agree with you as well as well there and i think he's he's i think he's one of these people that well i think it happened with um with Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood, I think, wasn't it? He said he was writing that role for for Daniel Day-Lewis, but he was a bit intimidated to put it towards him because it's Daniel Day-Lewis. But right. as soon as Daniel Day-Lewis heard that Paul Thomas Anderson was writing a role for him, it was like, uh, well, obviously it wasn't straight away because he doesn't say straight away, but it was a, okay, yeah, let's work together and, and see what we can do. So I don't know. I think he's got that kind of reputation and as a, as a filmmaker that uh, there's probably any actor would love to would love to work with him, I'd imagine. So I'm going to counter that point um, because, of course, I am. Um, I actually, and it's funny because I'm looking at our lists now, and David and I kind of agree, um, at least if they're not in the same order, they're, they're on, the, on our top five list in some way. And I'm not going to say which character. I, I will when we get into it, but... Um, Yes, there is definitely characters and actors that he's chosen, and I could not imagine anyone else playing that role. But some of these on my list, and I would even say David's list, is actors that you initially wouldn't think because of their reputation and their other credits and other films. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily think that they would be perfect for this role, but then you watch them and you're like, oh my god. This is the, like I, I guess what you would call like transformative acting. It's it's just you stop seeing this the famous actor and you just see the character. And I think that's what's really impressed me with his actor choices is when you're not expecting this performance from this specific actor. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's yeah he's definitely got that about him too. I suppose that can pull something out of an actor that maybe yeah you you wouldn't think they could do possibly um one thing i wrote down when i was kind of just thinking about him was he strikes me as someone i think of as like a i suppose nowadays nowadays it's different difficult to you don't really have many filmmakers who you would call auteurs really but he's he's someone i, I wrote down that i think he's definitely a, a true auteur because you have certain films that like the master and, and there will be blood i think that you can when you watch it if you don't know who's made it you can tell it's you can maybe tell it's made by the same person there's a lot of the same tones in it a lot of, a lot of the same type of um just just feelings in the film and i read i did read a little article um earlier by sam mendez and he that's what he said about paul thomas anderson he said he's a true auteur he brings a certain style sound cinematography way of filming characters there's there's often even though you said even though and i completely agree with you that he he creates these fully fleshed characters and these and actors who, and picks actors in them who can portray it well and stand out in his films 
he often always does keep a distance as well at the same time from from the characters in the films like literally you, you look at them from a from a long way away and it just it's <laughs> right. just something that i always notice in his films as well it always seems very a him thing to do you know um what's kind of some of the things that you pick out or if there is any are there any things that you kind of often pick out from his filmmaking that are always just like yep yeah, that's very that's very paul thomas anderson Hmm. The way he moved... Uh, Alain, you can go if you want. I, I think I was about to say what you, you're about to say, so you go ahead. I, the one thing I noticed the most in all of his movies, and it's maybe his earlier more, but the, his camera movement. Mm-hmm. I think the way he uses the camera, um, maybe some people would call showy, but I just find it very interesting, um, and I think it keeps you engaged. Uh, you know, Boogie Nights with all the, the one-shots were just like, it's so like technically like cool for lack of a better way to say it just it's so interesting to watch it um so yeah the way the way he works the camera i think is kind of the the signature for me from him that's that's pretty much what i was going to say is his his um handheld work um i think and and yeah the the scene in boogie nights is the first thing that comes to me also, don't you feel like you almost have this voyeuristic sort of feel when you're watching his films? Yeah. Like, you're right outside the room where the two characters are talking, or you're, like, behind this wall when the two characters are talking. Like, um, like it's that distance that you're talking about, Steve, where you feel like you're there, but you're not right there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I completely agree with that. He's, it, I don't know what it is that, that he does, but it's I, his camera work, like you say, the, the tracking shots, the, the one shots like you guys talked about in Boogie Nights. Uh, when I was rewatching that the other night, when they the pool party, when um, Derek Diggler is first kind of there at the house and him and, um, <laughs> him and John yeah. C. Riley are doing the, the, the cannibals off the, the diving board and stuff. It's, yeah, it's just it's just masterful stuff, I think. Um no, I think it's... Well, even with that, even with that scene, the way he uses the song too, and this is one thing I noticed when we did that episode is he has the song building up this whole time until like the dive from the girl, like the woman, as she goes into the pool, and the song like hits like its crescendo, basically, like because he also uses music very well in his movies, uh-huh. like sometimes a little like a little too showy maybe, mm-hmm. but his oh. use of music and sound is really great. His use of music and sound in "There Will Be Blood" is chilling, for yeah. for lack of better terms. Because I don't know if you guys remember the opening, and <laughs> the opening shot where it's yeah. just the the mount, mountainous range, um, and it's just this like almost. It reminded me of of the movie "The Witch," the way it was just these vocals, almost these like choir esque, um, shrills. And you, you feel like you're stepping into a horror movie. Um, yeah. Uh, kind of with the Daniel Day-Lewis' character's life. Um, <laughs> to, and, and it's just his, his... What he does with his characters, too, is quite interesting. Um, I love a good visual arc from a, from a character. And so to have Daniel Plainview in the beginning of There Will Be Blood literally at the bottom of a mine shaft Mm. and then by the end of the film he's laying in his private bowling alley in his mansion just shows you how his characters go from point a to point z like you're you feel like you've grown (laughs) when you when you see that from the characters you know 
yeah, definitely. And even, you know, to completely on the nose with the limp as well. You see how he gets, how he wrecks his knee straight away at the start. And then at the end, he's just this hobbling mess kind of thing with the alcoholic and stuff. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, no, it is. It is just incredible. Um, I think we're probably starting to hit on our actual uh, kind of, you know, hit on our performances and stuff that we're, we're putting in our top five. So um, unless you guys have anything else you want to you want to say that maybe hasn't ever been said about Paul Thomas Anderson before. Do you want to, uh, should we get into our top fives? I was let's, just going to say, let's do it. Cause, oh, oh no, it's all right, go on, David. Yeah. What, uh, what is your favorite of his movies? Sorry, that is a question I was going to ask. Thank you, David. Um, uh, for me, before the other night, I would have said There Will Be Blood. But I watched Boogie Nights again for the first time in a while. And so, I don't know. I think I might... Even now, I don't know. I'm going to say Boogie Nights. I think I'd prefer to spend a bit more time in that film than than There Will Be Blood, possibly. Um, it's, a, it's a more fun ride. Oh, yeah. But I'm saying it, and I'm still not sure. I'm going to say Boogie Nights. That'll, that'll be my answer today. Um, how about you guys? Hold on. Well, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, though, Steve, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, like you said, having your answer today. Like it, it, it doesn't mean whatever you answer here has to be your opinion forever. Oh, yeah, and I think it's exactly. And I think it's good that it changes too. You know. Yeah. Um. Uh, so for me. Um, I, I, not only is it one of my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson films, but I, I think as part of just my favorite films in general, I think the master is beautifully done, um, from just a, a bunch of standpoints. And, and I know both of you do not agree with me on this. Um, but I just, I have such, um such an awe for that film and it's just epicness and yet it's development with with character i think is just amazing um having said that uh having watched inherent vice recently it's talk about a fun ride i had so much fun uh first, first of all i'm such a sucker for noir uh film making um and that's probably why i love the new the batman movie so much also. i can't wait to see it i'm seeing it this week so yeah really oh, watching it good 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 um but yeah I'm, I'm just a sucker for uh noir films and and good noir movies uh storytelling tropes of that genre and i thought inherent vice was such a cool kind of like a classic way a classic take on it but also it's kind of new environment for that kind of genre so i i still have to say my favorite is the master but i haven't had fun watching a movie in a while as I did with Inherent Vice. It is a great watch. It is it is very um probably his most slapstick film as well. Possibly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Really I yeah, I I love that. I watched that in the cinema and yeah, I thought that was that was awesome. How about yourself, David? So it's really it's it's like tough for me. I was thinking about this because I have like a definitive top four and I think the master <laughs> falls into four. As in, you have a definitive PCA top four or films of all time. I have I have four in that of his movies. I have like the four that are in the top four, but the order can change. Okay, you know, because I agree with you on Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood, but 
every time I watch Punch Drunk Love, I'm just like, I love this movie. <laughs> um, and the fact that it's only like 90 minutes yeah. makes it kind of like so quick. But it's, um, yeah, that's just an enjoyable one to me. I, I if, if gun to my head, I would probably say There Will Be Blood, though. But any of those three are, are great to me and the master as well. Y'all a bunch of basic bitches. <laughs> Because we just choose the obvious answers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, look, he doesn't have a bad film, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously kidding when I say that. But I, I, I feel like, gun to your head, what is the right answer? People are gonna say there will be blood, and I mean, it is a, it is a great film. Um, the wrong answer is Heart Eight. There is one wrong answer. If you chose Heart Eight as your, as your choice, I'd be like, well, uh, you're just trying to be different there. Heart Eight's an interesting film, but you know, obviously, it's just not at the grand scale of his other films. So I agree with you, but I think you're crazy of having Punch Drunk Love as even a contender. Well, I'm sure what David really wants to say to you is what Paul um, Philip Seymour Hoffman said in that film: "Just shut, 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 shut up." <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like to throw out the impressions if I can, even if they're not. Don't sound anything like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Great. Okay. So, so yeah, should we get into the, into our top fives? Yeah, absolutely. So just following on from, from what you were talking about a minute ago, my number five is Josh Brolin from Inherent Vice. Um, I love that film when, when I watched it and I've watched, um, I've watched it a couple of times since, since I first watched it at the cinema and, um, Josh Brolin's the one that always just kind of sticks with me at the at the end of the film and what i'm kind of quoting afterwards and i'm kind of looking up on youtube afterwards as well his his look the flat top um some of the just how seriously he takes himself in the film the how kind of quirky he is the kind of the the hand gesture the sex hand gestures that he does um (laughs) the just the deep throating of the chocolate banana um it's brilliant as well obviously um it's just everything about it just cracks me up and um yeah just kind of really uh really stays i think him and him and joaquin phoenix have a great have a great chemistry in there as well um so yeah he'd be my my number five yeah, that's, that's like, like definitely a good pick. Yeah, I like that. I, um, I didn't have him as even in my honorable mentions because I feel like he's one of those, like we discussed before, like a perfect casting. Mm-hmm. I feel like like the role he was born to play. Like <laughs> yes, yes, but no, but um, but in saying that, I he did great for that for me, but I expected him to do great in that for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I I know exactly what you're saying. It was I think it was just the the extra bits of like he could play a he could play a you know a hard nosed flat top cop every day of the week. Obviously, yeah, definitely. But it's just those kind of extra kooky bits that he that he threw in there. There's a there's a scene, and I just every time I see it, I'll I'll try and put it in the actual episode. But there's a scene that he has. When he calls, he calls um, Joaquin Phoenix in the evening, and he says that they've sent a um, uh, an academy um, police officer over to his ex girlfriend's house, and um, he's basically trying to make Joaquin Phoenix think that she's that she's dead. So he's just kind of, but she's not. <laughs> he just disappeared, and he's like, Whew, he knocked on the door, and uh, oh God, they went in, and she's gone. She's gone. 
she's out there somewhere. You know, she's just out there somewhere. <laughs> she went all groovy on us and this kind of stuff. You know, I just, oh, it just, he just puts a different twist on it. You know, and um, it just, it just cracks me up. I think there's, I think there's a ton of roles that he's actually perfect for, um, and this being one of them. Like I agree with you, Alon. But yeah, he, all of the like, he's kind of got underrated comedy that's yeah, really very, brought out here yeah and you don't really expect it to so when it comes out it like definitely hits you more no I, I i appreciate that and i would love to see how many of those were his idea and his idea alone and yeah. pta was just like um <laughs> okay okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it is as well like a like a it's why i always like brad pitt in, in the oceans films like i like i do i for some reason i just enjoy a character who's always eating as well you know he's constantly got the you know, he's eating the pancakes or the doing the banana, or he's got a drink, or like I don't know. It just adds something extra for, for me, and it just adds adds to my enjoyment of it for some reason. Um, but um, but yeah, you guys got any other any other thoughts on on Jeff Brolin at all? Nope. The cool. end, the end scene where he just grabs the ash and just oh my god, I was <laughs> dying laughing. Just yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix is good in that bit as well. Just where he's crying, and he's like, "Oh, are you okay?" Um, yeah, no, it's it's brilliant. Um, Alan, let's go to go to yourself. You're number five. So mine is actually a Joaquin Phoenix role, um, and originally I was actually going to have his character in The Master a lot higher up on the list than number five, but. W- Watching and rewatching and just thinking about all these roles. First of all, there's not a bad role that any of these actors that have done any of these characters than any of PTA films ever, right? So it's like you could easily just make this a top 100 list of just every single one of his his performances mm-hmm. um, in his movies. But thinking about this and thinking about who Joaquin Phoenix is I, I don't know about you guys, but the way I formed the list is I went in a way where these are roles that I have never seen these characters be in before. Or I have, but they have gone above and beyond my expectations in, in these roles. So for number five is Joaquin Phoenix in The Master. Just because not only do I love the character, but also I feel like he is the embodiment of these like primal animalistic tendencies that develop into something completely different by the end of it and the way he portrays that i think is just amazing to me it might be one of the most um repulsive introductions of a of a character i've seen in a film you know yourself he's steve i don't see anything wrong with having sex with a (laughs) a sand woman and then furiously masturbating in the ocean i don't i don't understand your dilemma (laughs) i just i got the end of that bit and i was just like oh wow god so what's 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 going on in this guy's uh background for for him to be like this um i uh i tried to watch that movie with my wife And she was like, yeah, you're on your own. Uh, you can watch this some other time. I'm, I'm out. I'm watching this one with you, buddy. Um, yeah, yeah. I just kind of... It took me a bit to come, kind of come back from that. He is, he is amazing in it. I will, I'll definitely give you that. And it is an amazing film as well. Um, I just... I found... I found the whole of The Master just a bit 
difficult at the end of it i think i said to you alan when i when i kind of messaged you after i'd watched it because i i messaged you saying i was just starting it and you got you messaged me back i could tell you were excited you're like oh tell me what you think tell me what you think i, I love the master and um i was just like oh I, I just didn't really i had a film's always i always know a film's good when i get like an emotional response to it and I got an, emo- an emotional response to that film in that at the end of it, I was just like, oh, God, I just felt a bit kind of gross. Um, and But I didn't feel anything, I didn't feel real any emotional connection to many, to almost any of the characters in that film, um, including Joaquin Phoenix, really. I didn't really feel kind of sympathy for him or anything like that. Um, I'm not saying it's a I don't bad... think, Sorry, well, go I don't think, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I don't think you're supposed to. Like, mm. I, I don't necessarily think it's supposed to be like a triumphant story. You no. could almost look at it as a, as a, as a tragedy film, mm-hmm. uh, as a, if you want. the The thing that I like about it, and I mentioned it with, um, um, oh, who, who, oh, yeah, the uh, Daniel Plainview character, and there will be blood. Mm. This vast character development that. It's kind of hard to say, and I don't want to get too much into that film, um, but he's the the physicality of his character starts at the bottom of the hole, ends up in a mansion. Yeah, he's good enough to take on this baby, but then completely reverts into an evil person by the end of it. And with Joaquin Phoenix, I feel the representation um, of having. deprived of of like good social and human interactions and like feeling turned on by this naked sand woman and then by the end of the film he's actually able to have like a relationship and and sex with a real woman but he's also developed into this kind of human character um apart from his animalistic one in the beginning Mm -hmm. that character development and the way he's done it like that's all him that's all through his acting that's why he's he's at that on my list Mm -hmm. yeah i i think i said to you i wish i hadn't seen the joker before i saw um uh before i saw the master just because the the physicality just at the mainly maybe at the start i suppose just of the how skinny he was the way he was kind of standing with his hands on his hips and everything it just kind of reminded me a little bit of the physicality he brought into that film as well because that's, that's a very kind of physical performance too um but yeah it was it, it was i can definitely appreciate it but yeah just maybe one that didn't connect with me as much um david sorry what, what were your thoughts on on uh fucking phoenix in the master yeah i mean it's not a character you want to be around it's um it's like kind of a little bit of a, a car crash that you can't help look away from uh and the, the, I will say, I think this is kind of, I'm not calling it like obvious Alon, but I am saying this is one of the obvious, like great performances in a PTA movie, but it's just one that like, I don't enjoy. Um, well, I was telling you before we started recording that I, I rewatched, um, all of the movies or and there were two I hadn't seen that I watched. And, uh, this is the only one that I didn't like fully finish. Not because I don't like like the master a lot, but it is it's a performance that's like just hard to watch. Mm. It's a um, it's a heavy film, especially in the beginning. Um, yeah, I mean, there will be blood's heart is a heavy film too, but like not. Yeah, I finished that. <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not the same. It's just he is a disgusting character. Like in the beginning, I think the one scene that 
uh, really sticks with me is when he is, um, for some reason, there's some dude he's taking a photo of at his job, right, in the beginning, hmm. and he's just kind of got this weird look on his face, and then he starts putting the light closer and closer to the guy, and then, like, starts getting into the fight with him, and then, like, drags the woman that he slept with uh, out of the store as she's clearly uncomfortable. It's like, all of that, that character is just kind of, yeah, it's just not a fun one to be around. Not that Daniel Plainview is, but... <laughs> yeah i mean i think if you're starting a film with that yeah they're both heavy movies but daniel plainview at least starts out with what you would think would be a good guy it kind of eases you into watching more of him fall into the the madness and then (laughs) with joaquin phoenix it just hits you very hard in the very frontal lobe so yeah (laughs) but uh no no that's that's great um david what's what's your number five so it is Joaquin Phoenix, but in Inherent Vice. Um, uh, just to step on a little bit of honorable mentions, I originally had this spot slotted for John C. Riley in Boogie Nights, um, which I'll talk about more later. But watching Inherent Vice, I think if you're, if you're not fully paying attention, you might say, oh, he's just playing a pothead. And yeah, he's doing it well. But there's like so much kind of nuance to the character because it's, I think, you know, a lot of times characters that get rewarded with awards or whatever are the kind of these bigger-than-life characters, which I think a lot of them will be on our list. But um, it's a very subtle character, and he's still doing a ton with it. Um, He's playing an absolutely perfect pothead, (laughs) but he's also this character that's extremely smart, Mm -hmm. extremely cunning, like is really good at his job and you wouldn't think he is and he's almost like wearing this disguise uh, as being like a drug a drug addict (laughs) but at the same time just so good at what he does i'm still very confused by inherent vice i'm gonna have to watch it like seven more times to actually figure out what what's happened in it like i get the overall picture of it but like it seems like there's a lot of nuance that i was missing There's Um, there's a lot to that one isn't there but his performance, I think, is, like I said, it's very subtle, but there's he's doing so much with it. So I, that's why I appreciated it so much. It's um, it's one of those performances, I think, kind of like you said as well, it gives, it's, it's a great leading performance to help supporting performances stand out, like Josh Brolin, like Martin Short in his short bit, um, like Benicio Del Toro. Um, you know, they kind of, the, those scenes that he just kind of seems to i know it's the, how the character's written obviously but he just really lets a lot of people kind of breathe and and kind of you know stand out in what they're doing the i can't remember the name of the actress or the character but the scene where he's talking to the um the woman who's talking about her um <laughs> how she was uh, formerly a a drug addict and um she right. breastfed her her baby and everything and obviously he has the massive ah! when he looks at the picture um <laughs> but um but he don't know, he's just got those subtle things where he just kind of a couple of things she says he just does a, like a little <clears throat> cough on his like um choke on his on his coffee and stuff so um yeah no i found that um, that's a that's that character is much more one that you <laughs> you could easily spend some time with rather than um um his his character from the master i feel he, um, I, <laughs> I feel like he plays such a cool character, um, yeah. and and sometimes he's too cool. <laughs> I feel like, um, but then he he'll do something that's just like 
oh, he's he's a, a mess up in life, but he just so happens to be amazingly good at this very niche job. Um, but yeah, and I and I really like that how he is so disarming to I guess you would say the villains of the film. Like you just wouldn't expect him to. Um, one of my favorite scenes from the movie is when he gets out of his handcuffs when he's up on the on the pipe. Yeah. And how he figures out how to get out of there. Um, <laughs> you, both the the um, I forget his name, but the 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 very the swastika guy, <laughs> the strong guy, um, and the guy at the bottom of the staircase just were so unprepared for him to being able to actually escape that at that point he just had to just shoot him and then walk out of there so yeah yeah no i think he i think he's yeah definitely definitely great in that um in that film um anything else david you wanted to to kind of mention about him in that one no no and i i think a lot of like your point lines up with what i was saying is like he's so unsuspecting because of who he is and i think that works for him you know it works for the character in that in that universe that he's in and so yeah that's that's the other thing about all these all these characters is they work so perfectly in these universes that uh pta is created yeah definitely they all kind of yeah no one kind of seems like it's a character that kind of doesn't quite fit in that film or that or that universe that he's that he's put them in um one my number four i think is definitely a character that that fits well into the um into the into the atmosphere and the, and the film that he's in even though it's, it's kind of a small part is um philip seymour hoffman in uh, in boogie nights now um i spoke to a friend of mine the other day and told him i was recording a podcast and it was on the top five performances from paul thomas anderson films and he said well the top four are going to be all the ones that philip seymour hoffman did then yeah um <laughs> so, <laughs> i think it's i think it's, no no it would be five i think actually wouldn't it, it would be five four or five um but uh but i so i i said i watched it again the other evening and um I, I forgot how I think you guys mentioned this as well when you when I was listening to your Boogie Nights um, episode. It's a really small part. I think I forgot how small the part is. Um, he's he's only got a couple of scenes where he really kind of has any lines in it or anything. Um, and obviously the scene, you know, when he, you know, he first sees Dirk and uh, how kind of just that kind of California accent and and the way he's talking kind of um, really really stands out. And then obviously the standout scene when he tries to kiss Derek and tells him how much he loves him. And, um, and then it's kind of left crying in the, in the car is obviously just, I mean, that's just super, super acting, you know, it just kind of makes you, you, you feel sorry for him. It's kind of slightly comedic. It's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of got everything in there, but I just love the, the, the small bits you guys mentioned about, you know, when he's, um, they're all buying the same outfits and he kind of, yeah. he, he's doing up the trousers and he's like, Oh, just kind of gives up. Cause he's, he's too fat to wear it. Um, there's the <laughs> yeah. bit where dark wins one of his awards and he's going up, he's going up to get it. And, um, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman just holds up both hands, like big tens and, um, dark Diggler just completely ignores him and walks up to the stage. And, um, there's a bit where they're at the wedding and he's, he's hacking off just a huge bit from the cake, um, as well to, to eat. And, um, it's just these massive stand, just standout bits that really just kind of stick with you. Um, so yeah, when I was watching it, I was just like, God, just, I think it's like you said about, um, 
uh, Paul Thomas Anderson picking the right character, the right actor to play the right character. I think in a lot of other hands, that's it is much more of a nothing role. Um, but it's um, he just makes it stand out so much with with the little amount he has. He makes it it makes it just kind of come across so well, just with how how great an actor he was. So um, so yeah, that's why that would be my number four. Well, in another actor's hand too, it could almost become a caricature because you know it's a it's a gay character character in it, but he doesn't play it. He doesn't play it with these like over um, overuse of like just over like overacted, I guess, no. for lack of a better word. No, no, he, like he does it. It's it's a comedic character, right? And I think he's like fairly underrated as a comedic actor, but he it's a real character too he portrays a real character even in a small part so yeah i think it is a great great choice and uh, you know obviously he's hilarious in it yeah definitely how about yourself alon uh well, i mean he's definitely a an actor that was gone too soon um he i would even say he's probably one of our the best um actors of our time definitely um, i definitely agree with his, that yeah his range and everything. The thing about his character in Boogie Nights is so just sad and pathetic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he just portrays that incredibly well that you feel bad. Like you genuinely feel bad for him. And he's not even a real person. Mm-hmm. He's a character in a movie. And you are just watching um, Philip Seymour Hoffman play this character to, to the point where it's like you just kind of feel bad for philip seymour hoffman <laughs> um but yeah i mean as as far as like kind of these very specific roles that he plays in all of paul thomas anderson films i feel like this is definitely one of the not one of the best but also one of the realists too yeah no i, I think you're completely right and the you know it's just the range of the guy as well. You know, he played he, he played this role and then he played the obviously another smallish role in, in Magnolia, but you know, it's two completely different characters. He looks completely different. You know, there's only a couple of years between that film, but he looks, you know the way he is in that film looks like he's quite a lot older. They must they must have made him look a bit younger in, in Boogie Nights, but yeah, he's just so he was just so unbelievably kind of versatile and um yeah, no, very very sad that yeah, you definitely went too soon. But um let's see what his um his son can do. Obviously it was a good start in the in Licorice Pizza. Um so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how his career goes. Um Alarm, what was your um number four? So uh my number four is Paul Dano uh, on uh, There Will Be Blood. And I actually had this <laughs> higher on the list but we'll we'll talk about exactly why every everything <laughs> felt like it was moved up a, a slot for a second here but um it, as far as characters that paul dano has played um the characters that have come to mind is definitely um little miss sunshine uh-huh. he is great at playing a, a whiner i guess i guess you would say um but another kind of actor who plays a sad and and pathetic character very well um but for his character and there will be blood there's this this okay first of all he's playing twins in the movie okay Uh um and i and i think the uncertainty that daniel and his son have of like wait 
Yeah. His son, his son gives Daniel Plainview this, this look that's like, what the hell is up, dad? Like, <laughs> didn't we just talk to this guy like a few weeks ago? <laughs> like, and, um, and I mean, even, even for a while, I know the first time I watched, I watched there will be blood. Um, and I actually watched it with my wife and she had the same thought that it's like, what well, is it not twins? Is it just the same guy? And he's kind of doing this, like he's, he's playing them. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's what you're supposed to think or whatever, whatever, but, um, his performance from being this, like, I, I guess Daniel Plainview came to them thinking that this is just a bunch of dumb backwoods men that he can easily like pull a rug, um, over. Mm-hmm. Right. And under, over, whatever, <laughs> whatever the expression is, uh, he, he pulled that rug and, um, and you know, Paul Dano was just not having it. And then he became this like formidable foe of Daniel Plainview that was played to like catching him in his bravado when he's trying to sell his plans to the townspeople. And then he's in the back of the crowd being like, well, you're going to give $5,000 to the church, right? Right. And then, and then, um, almost to get, you know, backed at him for that is, um, I, I love the dynamic between the scenes of he comes to him very humbly and he's like, can I bless the well? Now, a lot of acting or a lot of, you know, good acting is portrayed by people who act and, and I feel like reacting is a very much underappreciated art in that the look on on Paul Dano's face when Daniel Plainview massacres the blessing <laughs> and basically steals that from him is so good and and you know exactly what he's feeling uh-huh. and it's not what you think would be a, a godly man like him would be feeling but you can see him get this like revenge look in his eye that's I don't I don't know how to describe it, but his reaction to everything Daniel Plainview does speaks so much more than like, yes, when he's being slapped and he's being pulled by his hair into the tar pit and or the oil pit and he's screaming like, yes, that's great. But just everything that he gets from Daniel Day-Lewis and how he's just kind of absorbing it and throwing it back. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. So Paul Dano in There Will Be Blood is my, my number two on my list. Um, I, st- stuck with me equally as much as, as Daniel Day-Lewis did in, in that film um, when, I, when I first watched it. And um, he's just incredible. The, the, to, to your point there, Alan, exactly. The, the other scene I was thinking of when you were talking about the... Um, the, the blessing and the, and the look on his face is after the um, after the baptism when Daniel Day-Lewis stands up and he comes over and shakes um, Paul Dano's hand. You got, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis has his back to him, but the fear that on Paul Dano's face, because Daniel Day-Lewis is shaking his hand and saying something to him after he's just humiliated him in front of the his kind of congregation and stuff and made him obviously do his massive um, 
confront what he's done about uh, abandoning abandoning HW. I've abandoned my child. <laughs> I've abandoned my child. Louder, Daniel. Louder. Say it down on your knees. Um, just the look on Dano's face. You just know that Daniel Day Lewis is saying something along the lines of. I'm going to get you for this one day, you son of a bitch, or something like that. He, he, you know, you know, just from the look on Dano's face that, 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 you know, he's in big trouble and he knows him, he's in big trouble one day. Um, yeah, just absolutely incredible. And just the, the, the double performance in it, you know, as well, the, the, he's, he's acting as a charlatan acting as someone who's a man of God in like that scene where he's taking the arthritis at the woman's hands and he just turns into this get out kind of thing of the, of the, um, of the church. It's just, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable performance. I, I, I also, I also love uh, Daniel day Lewis in that, <laughs> in that scene too, where he's just looking onto him like, okay, good act. Like... Exactly. He knows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, goddamn hell of a show. That kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. David, any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> now you guys covered it. Um, this is, it, it's like, I agree with you, it's good. And then all, but also it's like when he's, I don't know. It, it, it's definitely good. Sometimes when he's doing the, uh, like the throwing the spirit out of the church, it's like, it's like, is it overacted? Well, not really, because it the, it is an act, right? Mm. Like it's an act from this character. Um, not just from Paul Dano. So um, I agree it's good. It wasn't one of, it's not like one of my tops, but no, you like, you obviously know it's good. And he's like a great actor too. One of my favorites from him is uh, Prisoners. So yes. Yeah. He is great in that film too. And, and yeah, looking forward to seeing him in, um, in the Batman as well. Um, he, I don't he, know how much he... you'll get to actually see him. Well, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, however, however much he's in it or not in it. You, you, I was going to say, you have to appreciate his acting um as a mute i suppose or something no just just not um just not that you see his face you just have to appreciate him right oh okay um but i mean he's he's great in that he he's a he is young but mm-hmm. i could see him developing into possibly one of the greatest actors mm-hmm. um he Definitely. He's he's great. I'm a I'm a big Paul Dano fan. <laughs> yeah, fearless, fearless. He seems like he would do anything, you know, do any type of role. He would throw himself into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Okay, so yeah, no, great, great pick. Um, no, below maybe, but yeah, great pick. Um, huh. David, you're number four. I'm looking forward to this one. So, from here on out, each one of my picks, I think, is the best role that this person has done. Um, and so for number four, I chose Tom Cruise in Magnolia. And the only reason it's a little bit lower is because I think he is incapable of crying well. Like, <laughs> uh, I talked with um, one of my friends who he was the he was the guy on the Sicario episode, uh, Garrett. Oh. And um, he disagrees with me completely. But honestly, I just think it's really bad. Like he's really bad at crying. It's a little it's a little too much for me. But everything else, like, playing this character, just selling this kind of, like, skeezy <laughs> system for picking up any woman you, any woman that you want, he's just so great at it. It's so, like, 
captivating is the word where you just when he's on screen doing his thing it's just amazing and i love too the juxtaposition from when the first time you see him and he's selling it and he has all the confidence in the world to after he finds out about his father um and after he's had this horrible interview with this woman who's kind of tracked down all of this like hidden biographical information on him and that second time he goes out and how like a little bit unhinged he is mm-hmm. um and like I, I think it's his best performance i think it's like watching this after you've seen like all the mission impossible movies and all like edge of tomorrow all these other like action movies that i really like just being reminded that this this dude can act um is it was pretty interesting and so it's uh no it's just it was just really great it's surprising 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 it's it's one of those ones when you see it you're like god you didn't i don't suppose either didn't know or you don't remember that kind of tom cruise has got that kind of performance in him and um you're exactly right it's it's i suppose now when you look back at it as well because i I suppose the whole um tom cruise being a bit of a weirdo wasn't as as well known then um but now obviously you've got all that extra baggage with it now when you look back at it but it's just so stand out and different from anything else he's done and um you kind of wish that you know maybe he'd be in another paul thomas anderson film or a tarantino film or something where he can you know not play um someone who's who's gonna who has to save the world in in every film someone who's yeah maybe a a strange character or a very hyped up character but someone who's a who's a real person um again so uh, i i i know what you mean about the crying i think i i think i'm probably more on your side um but um the the bit after he's had the interview and kind of he drops to his knees and the the kind of he breaks obviously from his normal spiel is i, I think is some is some great stuff um how about yourself alan i mean he it's my top three performance Mm -hmm. um just because i think i mean david pretty much covered it but definitely the the fact that you don't really see tom cruise much in this sort of light and playing this sort of character and there was literally a point in the film where i'm watching it and i just genuinely i i forget it's tom cruise Mm -hmm. i mean it's not like the character called for him to look different than you know what tom cruise usually would look like apart from maybe the hair and the clothes right but um it, yeah it wasn't like a a prosthetic thing or or anything like that it, he just completely transformed sheerly through his acting for me into this um unrecognizable character um and and i guess they say like what the the skin of tom cruise peeled back and and now you have this this character um but the kind of character that he plays too right in just this like super skeezy super confident and and kind of flamboyant character who's just this big loser that tries to perceive to everyone that he's cooler than he is as opposed to all his other characters where i feel like tom cruise is just like uh on um attempting you know he's just he's just cool he's just a cool guy um but he's yeah he 
transformed for me. So um, I guess this is my like, <laughs> this is my explanation on why he's number three for me. But I, I agree with David on, you know, how he kind of belongs in a top five list. What do you, what do you think about his crying though? I thought it was fine. I, I did. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was fine. I'm not making a big deal out of it more than you. And probably because that's why he's higher on it than, than yours for me. But um, I, yeah, I, I thought his crying was fine. So, uh, so my number three um, was Vicky, and I'm pretty sure I got this right, Vicky Kreps, uh, how to pronounce her surname, uh, from Phantom Thread. So, um, so Phantom Thread was was one of the films I um, hadn't watched prior to doing um, the the podcast. So I watched it only a few days ago. Um, now I can't say I was again another really appreciated the film. Another another really good film. I can't say it's going to be up there on my rewatchable list for, for PTA films again. Um, but she really really stood out to me um in the film she goes similar to, to dano i suppose in, in there will be blood she goes toe to toe with daniel day lewis in that film especially the scene where um he she asks everybody to leave the house and he comes back from his walk and she's made a meal for him and he's so ungrateful about it and it's outside of his routine she kind of gives back she gives back to him as as much as as she gets she's quite funny in it as well she's got a couple of quite dry lines she's so beautiful as well the film opens on just a shot of her face um she just kind of so so engrossing in that way um and the film ends with daniel day lewis's head in in her lap as well you know she ends in kind of like a, a kind of dominant position in in the film as well and um for a for a woman who she she's very um she's very likable throughout the film i feel she's quite you know she's quite put upon she gets her feelings hurt quite a lot she's always fighting against how uptight the um daniel day lewis and his sister and and the house and the atmosphere is all the time and so i, I always felt sorry for it even to the point where she starts um <laughs> committing munchausen by proxy on her husband i still felt quite <laughs> positive towards her anyway um so yeah i just kind of she was just again similar to to what i said with um josh brolin from inherent vice she's really what stuck with me when i when i kind of finished that film and, and went away from it really so um that was kind of a surprise when before i kind of watched the master and phantom thread i i kind of thought yeah maybe whacking phoenix or, or philip seymour hoffman from um from um the master would be in my top five so i was a little bit surprised that i thought yeah god no that's just one one um performance i, I just can't stop thinking about and and i think yeah maybe deserves to be in in that top five there so so yeah maybe a bit of a different one i know you guys haven't got that in your top five so i don't know if it's going to be in your honorable mentions but yeah i, I definitely wanted to to highlight her as much as i could for uh, for I, me i think it all right you go on no you go david um I saw your list before I kind of finalized mine, and so she would have been an honorable mention, um, or maybe even on there, but I, I, I thought I'd have the chance to talk about her since you picked her. And um, there aren't a lot of, like, I think Licorice Pizza changes that in Phantom Thread. There aren't a lot of, like, female choices you can make in his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're uh, smaller parts usually. Um and if you pick uh, Heather Graham from Boogie Nights, you're like, but it's not because of that scene. It's not. <laughs> so. Um, 
but yeah, she's uh, she's really great in this. It's funny. Uh, the only thing I'd ever seen her in, I didn't realize she was in it, was um, the movie Hannah with Saoirse Ronan. So this is like a huge kind of step up for her yeah. in like, you know, roles and like you said, going head to head with Daniel Day Lewis, and she she kills it, like mm-hmm. knocks it out of the park. Um, she's really great. She plays this very sweet character, but also just like this, you know, some something underneath that you don't yeah. really expect. And, but she, she like it's like this subtlety that she kind of gives it off it's not when it when it happens in the movie you're not like oh that doesn't make any sense you're like oh wow okay yeah i can see it and so she just she does great um yeah and i, I think it's a great choice thank you um she is number one on my honorable mentions and she almost made it on the list. <laughs> but <laughs> this is a top six, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> some of us it is. Alan, for some of us it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just a really hard decision and, and, and you know, to not like put her on the list or keep her off the list. And I was like, I got to at least make her number one on my honorable mentions because she is amazing. Um, her subtle nuances, I think, is really what what is amazing about her acting. Um, and like you said, to go toe to toe with Daniel day Lewis is you, you got to have some chops for that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and I, I found myself rooting for her a lot in the film. Like there's that scene when it's, um, they're having one of the breakfast scenes, obviously there's a lot of them, but there's that scene where she's being, you know, after she's been told that, you know, she's too loud and this kind of thing where she's being, you know, delicately silent. And, um, uh, Sybil says something, and Daniel Day Lewis has has a go at her. It's like I was almost like yes, like you know she's kind of got one over finally on on the uh, on the sister, and yeah, she's kind of moving up the the pecking order in in his list of um, you know kind of importance. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought she was I thought she was great. And I'm glad you guys, I'm glad to hear you guys kind of thought so so highly of her as well. That's that's awesome to hear. Um, um, Alan, obviously we you you had Tom Cruise as uh, your number three, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, now that everyone knows that Tom Cruise is my number three, I'm, I'm good with moving on to David as number, th- number cool. three. Cool. Yeah, David, over to you. And I don't think either of you chose this. And um, uh, as lovingly as I talked about Punch Drunk Love, I don't think this is a shock. But um, I know some people might say Adam Sandler's greatest role now would be um, Uncut Gems. The wedding but singer. Always I... the wedding singer. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Billy Madison. Um, but I don't think I've ever been more like pleased in a movie with how like the story went. And I talked about this when we did this episode. But you know, you're going along, and um, Adam Sandler's just kind of this henpecked character. He's got these seven sisters who are, you know, borderline, the worst if not possible borderline, human beings. Yeah, <laughs> abusive to him, right? And he's just very quiet with this like rage that kind of comes out now and again um but in the end when like their car gets hit and he just beats the crap out of these four guys like with the tire iron um just it was like i was like in love with the movie then and then the the final scene with philip seymour hoffman um on the phone and then uh in person like you know we said with uh vicky crepes you know going toe-to-toe with daniel day lewis but Adam Sandler going nose to nose with Philip Seymour Hoffman figuratively and literally, literally yeah. um, 
that's like why I love this movie and I, I think he's so great. And like Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, choosing someone who's just so like not obvious, especially at that point in his career, having just done Magnolia. And I, I was just listening to the story the other day where PTA was like, you know, um, after Magnolia premiered, I had already been talking with Adam Sandler and he calls me and he's just like, hey, I just saw Magnolia. I can't do any of that. And Paul Thomas <laughs> Anderson was like, well, don't worry. Like, I will figure out what you can do. Um, and then just like a perfect movie for Adam Sandler that is also like a PTA movie. Um, but I think he's just so great. It's still like, it's still very Adam Sandler-esque. Like there's still like a lot of his like mannerisms and like the way he talks and, um, but it's just so great. And like the, the character is perfect for him. I love that. I love that he's he's that's what that was his reaction to it. He watched Magnolia. Listen, I can't do anything of what they did on that screen there. Um, yeah. That's that's brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd probably you know, like I said about kind of rooting for for Vicky Kreps and stuff. Maybe one of the um, one of the characters you wrote root for the most in a in a Paul Thomas Anderson film, like say so kind of put upon in the when when yeah he's beating the crap out of those guys and he confronts. Um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, yeah, no, I think a really, really well written, really well written character and a, and a great choice to, to play as well. I, I mean, sorry, David, but yeah, I'm not a huge um, punch drunk love fan. Again, you know, he, he can't make a bad film, but um, yeah, probably a little bit further down the list for me. But um, but no, I really appreciate what um, Sandler was able to do in, in that film. I, I appreciate that you appreciate it, David. <laughs> Alan Alan always does this thing where you're off air. He's like very nuanced and is like, yeah, no, it was okay, it was okay. Yeah, right. And then when and then when you get on air, he's like, why are you such an idiot Straight that you would think throat. that this was good? I like, why would you even? I can't believe you would say such a thing. So I'm kind of fairly used to this sort of thing now. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we 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 did this movie, and you know that I'm not that big of a fan on on this movie. It's it's very hard for me to see Adam Sandler outside of his dumb, goofy roles, um, and, and it just I I just didn't think that the movie itself was as captivating as as most of PTA movies are. Um, I I did appreciate the sisters and how absolutely vile that he made them it it did make me it, it forced me to like adam sandler's character more just because i was like god you had to grow up with these bitches like you know <laughs> i'm like all right all right i kind of understand the why he is the way he is but there's some meandering and 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 i just didn't feel like the movie flowed very well at times and that's the problem what I have with the movie. Um, and I know this isn't a movie rating. This is a performance rating. But I just couldn't... I, I, I can't see Adam Sandler and, and be like, okay, wow, he really transformed. Because to me, he was just Adam Sandler, maybe a bit more normal, you know? But that's me. And that's okay. He was not normal, I will say. Well, he was that. not normal, but... And if you don't like uh, meandering movies, like, I can't wait till you see Licorice Pizza, because uh, that's, like, all that is. And I, I think, too, this um, kind of a thing with, like, uh, a lot of directors, right? Like, when you think of David Fincher, you think of, like, a kind of a very dark director. So a lot of people don't really like Benjamin Button when that comes out, or Mank, because those aren't what you're expecting. So... 
if you've seen all these PTA movies and then you finally put in Punch Drunk Love, you're like, what? What is this? This is not what you do. Um, but I still think it has like kind of the bones and has like a lot of the you know the song choices, the way it's like drowned in music. Um, that is definitely him. So I won't argue anymore with you about the salon. So it, it's it's not even the movie. If if one of us put um, Philip Seymour Hoffman from Punch Drunk Love, I'd be a hundred percent behind you because to me, he elevated that movie to uh, where I can like, all right, you know what? I'll watch this whole movie just for the ending. That was a um, that's a great kind of yeah sleazy salesman role as well, wasn't it? it was just it's just a he, he play he seems to be able to play the the perfect type of whatever he's gonna play like you know he he plays a, a gay sound engineer who works on porn films yeah that's exactly how it would how it would be he plays a sleazy salesman where a mattress company was it um who has this other thing on the side yeah that's exactly what that person would look like he just he just knows how to how to do it in every single film um <laughs> cool okay so um that moves us on to our number two picks so i i mentioned earlier um my number two pick was Paul Dano from There Will Be Blood. Obviously, we discussed him earlier. Um, Alan, let's move on to you and how you have cheated on this um, this list. Okay, okay. <laughs> I haven't I haven't cheated, and this is why. All right. So, as my number two, I have both of Daniel Day Lewis's um, the ma- um, the master. Yeah, uh, Phantom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the one he wasn't in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, he's so good. No, um, <laughs> in uh, in there will be blood, and then his role in Phantom Thread. And the reason I chose these two, and I honestly couldn't decide, is because looking at my list, I thought it would be a travesty for any of these performances to not be in my top five. And then there's Daniel Day Lewis. That I feel that. He is so different from his two um, performances in this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's almost me not rating the performance itself, but rating him as as an actor and being able to completely be unrecognizable as like one character versus the other. I mean, from... From the accent to the mannerisms to the just the way he holds himself, it's it's on equal terms just because it is the same guy, but it's also unbelievable that it is the same guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I can totally see what you're saying. And so, as far as like what it would take from the character, I think um, range and what it calls for. There Will Be Blood is the obvious choice, but it's it's just from that character to, to his character in Phantom Thread, it's just like, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's on equal terms as far as they're both, to me, equally amazing performances. So, yeah. Okay, okay. Why, well, just... Alan, on the on the Phantom Thread one, not to give anything away, because I don't think that appears on anyone else's list. His performance in that is there anything in particular about that about that performance that kind of really 
stands out to you and, and kind of sets it apart? I, I think the way he is a unbearable character without saying many words mm-hmm. and kind of the mental torture that he puts um, Vicky through throughout the film without being so obviously like verbally horrendous. It's just the, he's such a particular kind of guy who wants things in such a particular way. Um, and, and just the way he, um, it, it keeps coming back to that scene where he, he eats so quietly and then you don't notice it, how quiet he eats and how he like, you know, manicures his own nails and brushes his hair and just make sure every single hair on his face is plucked and trimmed and, and cut and then you have her just basically acting like a normal human being, mm-hmm. just eating the way a normal person would eat. And how his acting is on how much that annoys him, but how much he's also trying not to show that it annoys him. But then it gets to a point where he's just annoyed. I just thought it was so great, you know? Mm-hmm. That's one way to pick up and, pick up a waitress as well, yeah. isn't it? You know? <laughs> make the biggest order you can, you can make and then right, remember it. I'm going to keep what you just written down. So I've got a sample of your handwriting or whatever. Um, that's that's definitely one way to pick someone up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I just thought he was just so great. And um, I think if they, they were similar performances and, and similar characters, then There Will Be Blood is, is the obvious choice. But just because I think they're so different, it was very hard for me to choose. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, David, what kind of vastly different choice have you gone for for number two? So I chose Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. And I think um, I think it's the fairly obvious choice. If you ask like 100 different people who have seen all these movies, you know, probably like 95 of them will see Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Da- um, uh, David really wants to win on Family Feud. <laughs> correct. Correct. Uh, I don't think that's a category because it can't lead to any like double entendres and Steve Harvey freak out about it. So... I um that was sorry just, sorry just for my british listeners that is uh what used to be called family fortunes over here in the UK just for anyone who's uh, who's unsure of what Alan and David are talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um but it's just like it's obviously such like a powerhouse performance. It's um not to step on my number 1 but it's like it's very interesting that you know you can see him working with all these people right that are in his other movies and he does this movie after movie like boogie nights and magnolia are very similar casts but then he goes out pta does and he's like i'm writing this very specific movie for this very specific person and i don't know that anyone else could have done the same thing um it's just like a perfect character it's a and it's you know i said uh for um for tom cruise like how captivating he is and like daniel day lewis the same thing and my number one will be the same too just like you can't help but pay attention to everything he does to hang on every single word it's just so mesmerizing the whole time um and the only reason uh you know alan chose phantom thread and i was like as i was watching this i was like you know he's very good in this but it like kept reminding me of a boss i had who was just so particular (laughs) and so like 
almost like a little bit on the on the spectrum of how like specific they need everything like a little ocd um that it just it hit too close to home and so it like <laughs> didn't but uh for there will be blood you know as we talked about the scenes with him and paul dano but just like the scenes where he's just by himself right in, in like contemplation when he's yeah in the when he's either on the beach or in the water with his uh you know supposed brother and he's like oh like the peach tree dance mm-hmm. and uh the guy's like what what are you talking about oh okay yeah and it's just the the change in his face the yep. subtle change in his face and like the way that pta just keeps the camera on him as you can see his like mind working mm-hmm. and just like how quickly this character goes from love to murder um it's one of those characters that's just written to be so good, and then you have one of the best actors ever do it, and so then obviously it's going to be good and it's going to be iconic. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Daniel Day Lewis and There Will Be Blood. Yeah, very obvious. My my number one too. Uh, sorry, my number one um, pick um, for for my list. So Paul Daniel number two, uh, Daniel Day Lewis uh, number one from There Will Be Blood. Um, yeah just yeah completely agree with everything you just said uh david on that one he's um it's potentially one of the most just ultimate film performances um i said that you know dano goes head to head with him and i and i when i first watched it i I took away both the performances equally second time third time it's Daniel Day-Lewis that you're you're doing the impressions of it's Daniel Day-Lewis that you're remembering it's Daniel Day-Lewis's face it's you know the the accent the clothes he's wearing those you know i was listening to another podcast apparently the um <laughs> the cardigan he wears in the last in the last scene became very popular afterwards the um the uh what he's wearing in the in the baptism scene was um the killers went and took it and that was a big style that they did for one of their albums um became very um became very trendy um <laughs> just everything about his performance is just is just incredible it's it's a I don't know how many performances there are that the whole film, the whole film, just there's a gravity around Daniel Day-Lewis. Everything just circles around him. Um, and it's like you say, it's those, it's, it's not just the big, you know, I drink your milkshake. It's not just those moments. It's the, it's the little ones as well. You know, it's that. It's, the uh, it's definitely those moments. Too. <laughs> it's not just, yeah, it's those two, but it's those little moments. Even when he, um, uh, spoiler alert! Even when he kills Dano at the end, the 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 look in his face after the first time he's hit him with a bowling pin, the, the the look in his face of just is he going to do this? What's going to happen? You know, and the, and then he hits it again. It's it's just you can tell so much about what he's thinking just from that look on his face. The surprising moments in it as well. The you know threatening to cut that guy's throat for for not really saying anything um, bad at all. It's um. It's just, I think it's a, it's one of those performances I think you could watch 10, 10, 11, 12 times. You'll always pick up something new from it and, and understand something new from it as well. So, so yeah, that was why it's um, it's my number one. It's just one of those performances that just lives with you and, and will live on, like, you know, one of the one of the great performances. Um, so, yeah, so that's why that's my number one. Sorry. Well, and his speech is in the beginning too, right? Like, the, I'm an oil man. You know, if I told yep. you I was an oil man, you, mm-hmm. you'd have to believe me. And then, like... No, this is a family business. This is my son HW. You know, yeah. just everything about like he's he's going for it in every every word he says and he's landing it in every word he says. Yeah, 
yeah, he he's a hundred percent committed to what he's saying and what he's you know. I suppose similar to to Dana in that way, he hundred percent believes the the BS that he's saying. So, um, um, yeah. the the other extreme, and and like I said before, I, I I do agree with you. I mean, there will be blood calls a lot from um, Daniel Day Lewis, uh, any actor really that would have taken that role, but it. it it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of um, just focus on, on everything between the accents and the nuances and everything like that, but also the range on, on that character is quite amazing. I loved the end, too. Before Paul Dano comes in, he's talking with his son, who is all grown up, mm-hmm. and it, it. I didn't really understand it until my second time watching it, but he's deaf right? Like completely deaf. Mm-hmm. He's walking away. He's out of the room and you still hear Daniel Plainview go, yeah. um, just a bastard in the basket, yeah. you know? And it, and it's just like, he's doing that for no one but himself, yeah. you know? And it's just such a great performance. Um, let me ask you guys, what did you think about his performance in Phantom Thread? Um, for me, I, I thought he, I thought it was great. I thought the um, the the childlike, the childishness was was brilliant. I think the way he did it, the um, <laughs> that scene I mentioned when um, uh, uh, Alma, his his uh, Vicky Krebs character, has made him his meal, and they just zoom in on him pouring the the butter out, and he just takes the piece of asparagus, <laughs> and he just like. Just the way he just lightly spreads it on the on the butter and then eats it, and you're just like you can. It, that it's just so subtle. You just know you're doing it with complete disdain. You know, it's for anyone else. It's like oh, you know, asparagus with butter instead of with salt or how salt and oil. You know, that's fine. Don't worry about it. But he's like, oh god, I have to eat this. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I thought the I thought the subtleties in it were great. The any time he swore in it really stood out to me. You know, because he like you say he's such he's so buttoned down he's so um everything's so organized everything's not out of place so when he does tell the um tell the doctor to f off and he tells um vicky Krebs character to f off back where she came from it, it does kind of like oh god wow um yeah and it stands out to you you know so yeah no i thought it was a it was a very good very good performance but yeah just um uh yeah i just went with, the, with there will be blood because um i think yeah probably just more the standout but also just just so much to it you know how about yourself, David? Yeah, no, I agree. I, um, I mean, it's just like Daniel Day Lewis is one of the one of the best actors we've had. Everything he does is great. This is no exception. And like he kind of just melts into the character, right? Yeah. So you're not like, oh, this isn't the guy from There Will Be Blood. Like, oh, this isn't. I don't. I don't know about this. You're like, oh wow, he's perfect in this too. So I don't think it's like it's not a bad choice, um, but yeah, he's just he is great. Definitely, yeah. Um, cool. Okay, so um, if we go, so we've got your guys' number ones to go through. So if we, um, I suppose now would be a good time if we go to our honorable mentions. Um, those who didn't quite make our top fives, I know you guys have mentioned a couple of yours already. Um, I've just put I've just, I've only put down five for for myself. Just kept it to five as well. Um, so my the one I one of the ones I had in there 
was one that you guys both had, uh, Tom Cruise from Magnolia. Um, obviously, I don't think anyone can watch that film without him being probably the, the major standout from it, just of everything that he does in that film. Um, even if his crying is is ridiculous, it's uh, it's it's still just an amazing performance, I think. Um, one of the more, well, the most recent one, um, Licorice Pizza, I mean, Alana Heim, um, I'd be, I'd just maybe similar to Vicky Kreps in a lot of ways, just so captivating, so kind of just beautiful, so funny, so, um, um, so kind of makes you feel something you know kind of a bit scared for her there's a bit where she confronts uh, someone who she doesn't know turns out to be um something else. I, won't, I won't spoil anything but yeah she goes to confront someone at some point and you're not too sure what his agenda is and yeah you're kind of very like oh should you be doing that um yeah i thought she was she was an absolute revelation in that film um it's the baftas tonight so hopefully she might uh she might get an award for that it'd be good to see um uh, Julianne Moore and Burt Reynolds from, from Boogie Nights, other than, um, well, I think I said to, to Alan in a, in a message that I, that I sent to you, I think, you know, this top five could easily be made up of just performances from Boogie Nights. Um, there's <laughs> so many good performances in that film, but other than Philip Seymour Hoffman, those two really stood out to me. Burt Reynolds, I mean, <sighs> such such humility in his role he plays a porn director you know it's you'd think he'd probably be quite a sleazy horrible kind of character but i just i felt i found him quite warm and and kind of you know um slightly maybe kind grandfather grandfather-esque in it you know he's he i thought he was he was brilliant and julianne moore in that film i think is i think is incredible she some of the things that she does um in that film i think uh are amazing and also just for the the way in which she delivers the line this is a giant cock is just it will always stick with me as well <laughs> and um the last one i wanted to mention um from the master probably the performance that stood out to me just as much as um that the two leads was was amy adams uh, i thought she was incredible in that film just the the power and the um that she had in her performance to be as stand out as as the as the two main characters and and how big and powerful those performances are i thought she was she was brilliant and very um unlikable in a way in it as well um just such yeah. a such a i wouldn't even want to i don't is she a horrible person i don't know but just she's just very <laughs> i'm not too sure if she was or not but she's just so unlikable in that film the way she speaks to um, her husband, who's not the most likable guy in the world, but um, the way she does that and the way she can control him in a lot of ways, and and again, a very brave performance in in some of the things that she does and some of her lines in that film. So, so yeah, those were just ones, I, a couple of ones I wanted to really really highlight. Um, how about yourself, Alan? So, it's cliche, but just about every other role that Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, is in yeah um i just i i mean even his role in heart eight which is one scene and very few lines just sticks out at you it's it, it reminded me of the role he played in punch drunk love where he's not a vital character to the rest of the plot but he's so elevated and like charismatic and it's just like he, he, he just plays annoying so charmingly, I guess. I 
especially in Heart Eight, where he's just kind of this like um, very uh, confident. What what were they playing? Craps. I don't I don't know cards. Whatever they were playing in Heart Eight, um, but when um, oh you guys are better at at actors names than I am. But what's the um, the old guy from Heart Eight? Um, Is that Philip Baker Hall? Hall? Yeah. Yes. Um, so when Philip Baker Hall is walking away, kind of like frustrated from Philip Seymour Hoffman's um, whatever the hell he did, um, you you see Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of have this like, oh, what, oh shit, like, wait, man, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> you know, that kind of look. I just love everything he's in. Um as far as Boogie Nights go, honorable mentions to William H. Macy. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, his character in that and also his character in Magnolia, I feel like he's just kind of great at those characters, especially Boogie Nights where he's just like, oh, you're just having sex with my wife. <laughs> you know? like you, you guys had a really good chat about his character in that film. I, when I was listening to the, po- to the podcast, I really enjoyed that, that section of it. When you were talking about him, you kind of nailed it. Um, thank you. Yeah, I, I feel like now trying to remember what we all said, it's, I can't really remember, but I just... It's sometimes it's... hard to remember episodes we've done, honestly. Yeah, no, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Especially getting into like 115, 16, you know? It's like, oh my God. Um... <laughs> But yeah, and then um, David's going to probably make fun of me for this, but Gwyneth Paltrow in Hard Eight, I thought right was <laughs> was really good. Um, oh, um, the girl, the 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 love interest in Punch Drunk Love, um, I thought she was amazing too i mean there's no bad pta performances so it's just like oh i'm thinking of this character it's like yeah it's a they're amazing and they're amazing um but that that that, it's kind of funny how it's just like you for me for having my top five slash six it would just be very weird for me to put daniel day lewis his character from phantom thread in with that same crowd or if I were to bump everyone down and put Daniel Day-Lewis as my top two and three, it'd be very weird for me to put Joaquin Phoenix from The Master in that category of everyone else for me. So that's, that's I think, at a, as far as like non-main character performances, those really stuck out to me. We're not, you you we're don't not, have to keep explaining why yeah, you we're messed not, up your... It's, it's fine, Alon. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> it's only my first episode with guests on and you just cheated and everything like that i'm not saying you've ruined the podcast or anything but you know <laughs> he asked me about it before we were he's like do you think he'll care if i try and do this and i was like i don't know just ask <laughs> no it's absolutely fine not a not a problem i did you know it's hard it's it's a real hard um we were talking about it it's such a it's such a hard list to to put together um david i think you said you had quite a big um honorable mentions go go for it well, so, and you mentioned one in Amy Adams. Uh, I think she's obviously great in that. Um, and having to do that one scene in the bathroom with Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm-hmm. you have to honorably mention her. Gotcha. Um, uh, you know, just out of, res- you know, <laughs> just respect seems like that would be tough that. to do. <laughs> yeah. um, Leslie Man. oh, and also uh, Alan mentioned um, 
Philip Seymour Hoffman and Punch Drunk Glove. I, I joked to him that my top five was just going to be, not to uh, tip my hand on number one, but my top five was just going to be all of his five Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, yeah. roles. But that, like, the phone call when he's in the Mattress Man thing and then the, the final scene where he's just like, you know, uh, Adam Sandler's like, just say that's that and we'll be done. He's like, did you call the cops? No? Okay. That's that. And they're just staring at each other, but it's so great. And the way he walks out and is like, now get out of here, you pervert. He's like, oh, that's that. And like, just the wave of the hand. Um, you know, obviously I love that movie. Gotta have that final word. Uh, what the ones, other ones you guys haven't mentioned. So, uh, John C. Riley and Boogie Nights, like I said, that almost was my like number five. Just he's so, it's just, like one of his funniest roles to me. Uh, when he's in the, when they're trying to get the, uh, the CD that they recorded, <laughs> he's like, you know, this YP MP thing. I just, I don't understand this technical jargon, but like, what you have on there is gold, and that gold is ours. Uh, it's so great. Uh, Luis Guzman in Magnolia yelling at the little kids, and like just making them angry. Um, I love Luis Guzman, and uh, the fact that PTA loves him and uses him over and over is great. Um, Leslie Manville in Phantom Thread, who plays his sister. Mm. Yeah. You know, talk about going toe to toe. The one scene at breakfast when he starts to talk back to her a little bit, and she's like. Don't talk to me like that. I'll have you on the floor right now. I'll go right through you. Yeah. Like, I'm not everyone else is, like, really great. That, like, one little moment she gets to... Because she's such a reserved character throughout, you know? Everything kind of keeping it, you know, inside her coat. Like, not telling, you know, telling anybody anything. And so that scene is great. That bit, sorry, um, sorry to interrupt there. The, the, sorry, the other scene that really stands out with her as well, because I think that is a great performance, is the, the immediate... Um, amount of power she tries to have over um alma you know when she's when um uh daniel day lewis is measuring her and she comes straight up and starts sniffing her and um he was like oh you know you you look like all of his all, all of the others that he likes and, and the way she's right. looking at her was taking the measurements just like immediately she's like look i'm the i'm the alpha female around here you know yeah absolutely um thomas jane in boogie nights he is so uh, good in that film <laughs> When I so worked it the from, other night, I was like, I forgot Thomas Jane was in it. It was unbelievable. From his from his entrance at the party to the scene with, you know, you could make Alfred Molina an honorable mention. You could put him in your top five, too, for just the one scene in Boogie Nights. Um, and Alfred Molina's great in Magnolia, too. But the scene where he's like, I just want the drugs that are under the bed, <laughs> in the bedroom. And, and, like, and he's mumbling to himself and no one's paying attention to him. Alfred Molina's like, wait, wait, what are you saying? And then, yeah. like, the way he speaks up is... That scene's so great. And then uh, I wanted to mention a couple things from Licorice Pizza. These are my last two. But Bradley Cooper uh, oh. as John Peters is in the movie for like three minutes. Yep. And it sticks with you so much. And one funny thing I heard is that um, you know John Peters is based on a real guy. And um, PTA asked him like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And he's like played as kind of like a Lothario. Like he taught, he's like a sex addict. And uh, John Peters' only comment was like, um, it's, it's great, but I would have tried to sleep with, uh, Alana Heim. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I would have tried to sleep with that character. So that's the only thing I would change. Um, and then the other is, uh, Skylar Gizondo, who plays Lance, which is like the, uh, kind of the somewhat boyfriend in the beginning. Okay. Yep. He's like, he's such a, like a great, like little shit. Um, yep. And just like this kind of smooth talking guy that like you know you hate when he's like trying to go after your lady. He he plays that really well. Um, and the one scene when he's like you know 
it's in the trailer. I'm not going to ruin it for Alon, but the one scene at dinner with the family. Yeah. Um, he's so funny, and so uh, I know I, I could have done like 30 more honorable mentions, but I did want to talk about those ones. No, they were they were great. Um, no, I love. I mean, Bradley. I think I again I said it to to you, Alan. Have you seen Licorice Pizza yet? Did you get <laughs> it or not? No, I haven't. And um, I was just gonna say I I really need to watch it. I was gonna say I I think I said to you that um if you if you got to see Licorice Pizza before we recorded uh, you know I'd imagine that all of us would have Bradley Cooper in our top fives possibly um yeah no that was that was yeah just hilarious um cool okay so thank you very much for that guys and um so we are on to your number one so um uh, Alan let's go to you. I, I kind of want to take a moment and see if any of the listeners can guess in their heads to to see what I will say. Um, no. It, well, should, it, should we should we say actually should we say should we should I hand I might hand the floor to you too possibly should we say you guys have got the same number one should we just go ahead and you guys can can go go for it. Sure. So okay. So David and I's number one is Philip Seymour Hoffman in the master and we did not coordinate this at all um actually from everything that i've learned about what david feels about the master um when he showed me that it was his his number one i was obviously pleasantly surprised but i was just surprised Mm. like i was absolutely shocked so i'd love to hear David's explanation onto why he chose Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master as his number one. Um, so what I've come to realize, like one of the major revelations doing this podcast, is uh, for me, my favorite actor has always been DiCaprio. Um, but doing a bunch of these movies, it realized that like I think the best actor that we've ever seen is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, and I think this is his greatest performance because like what you're seeing is like a snake oil salesman. He's a, he's a cult leader, right? And just the, the monologues when he gets to monologue are amazing. And you know, when you compare this to there'll be blood, I'm not sure how Philip Seymour Hoffman would do. And it's, it's almost like sacrilegious for me to say that. I don't know if he could do that. But I know he could do that because he could do absolutely anything. We did Along Came Polly the other day simply because I was like, he's in that. And I know the movie's <laughs> going to be better because he was in it. And it was better because he was in it. And it wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> it was a little better than I guess Alan remembered. But, you know, there was, there's even I can like boil it down to like one word. And it's like, so when the scene where he's in Phoenix and he's like, he's doing this speech he hasn't done a lot in a while and he's like giving this speech about this new book that he's writing and he's like he's like talking about how he's found this new thing and then he just goes he's like i discovered and he says it in this weird thing it's like you're such like a a shill like a snake oil salesman as i said just like and he plays that role so perfectly and it's funny to see him throughout his career with pta and in general right like the first thing I ever saw him in was Twister, and he's just this fun-loving dude. He's a bro. And to see as he develops, and like even in PTA's movies, in Heart Eight, he has this really small scene. 
And so then in Boogie Nights, he's given a little bit bigger, right? And then in Magnolia, maybe lengthwise, he's not in it that much more, but it's like a much more important scene. It's, a, it's an emotional character, right? To then do this, and he just, like, I, I think a lot of people may choose Joaquin Phoenix's performance from The Master, and I think both of you guys had it on your list, but, or, or talked about it a little bit. No, you didn't have it, Steve. But the his performance you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in this is just like, it's otherworldly. And it's, every, every word is just so, it's like said perfectly. I like, I don't, as great of an actor as Daniel Day-Lewis is, like I wouldn't want him to take over this role just because of how much I love this performance. And much more than I like the movie even, right? Like I like the movie <laughs> a lot. But he's just so amazing in it. And it's like, I could watch that part of it over and over again, just him talking. Um, a long ago, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I love the movie. And and part of the reason of my love for the movie is uh, him. And, and, and Joaquin Phoenix. But I think there's just something about Philip Seymour Hoffman when you first see him. And it's just something like how how you know his effect is going to be on Joaquin Phoenix's character is going to be so great. You don't know if it's going to be great good or great bad, but you know it's going to be great. And it's a it's a tour de force performance that like you said David, you don't we've never seen that from him, you know? And he's he's great in a lot of stuff, but um if if this is what he accomplished in you know i think he was 47 when he passed away and so he was younger when this movie was finalized i would have loved to see him develop himself as an actor even more it'd be amazing on what he could um the roles he could play it's just so weird to me to think that he died in the middle of finishing hunger games and i'm and i don't think of philip seymour hoffman when i think of hunger games you know what i mean um so it's it's uh he he's but so even, versatile even in hunger even even that performance in hunger games though you're taking like a a pulpy like popcorn you know movie based off of a like a teen young adult book and he's like he's elevating that role like the the little bit he's in and, and the other thing too like uh steve i don't know if you watched the mission impossible movies but i i love those mm-hmm. And, in the third one. and he, that movie, uh, to me, is I, I think I have, like, not that you want my Mission Impossible rankings, but I have six <laughs> and five above it. But the third one is so good simply because he's the bad guy. Yeah. He's, like, he elevates that movie so much just because he's in it. And so yeah. the fact that he, you know, this is, like, like I said, his best performance, and it's probably, like, maybe his best movie he's in. Um but everything else he does, he elevates. That that type of performance is what I think that shows how good an actor he is, because that is basically, I mean, he could have, other than reading the script and memorizing his lines, that, that's probably the only preparation he would have needed to have done for Mission Impossible 3. You could have anyone in that role, because there's nothing like, um, particularly special about it in terms of it being different as a character. Um, 
Paul Giamatti or someone else could have, could have could have done that role. But he has such a way of delivering lines, his presence that he just elevates it up so much so much higher. So yeah, no, I know exactly I know exactly what you mean. And again, you know, the the master, it's um, yeah, I I found it difficult. Um, yeah, I didn't find it a particularly enjoyable watch, even though it, I I appreciate how amazing it was. Yeah, I mean, he did really kind of stand out to me, especially those bits where, um, you know, the facade breaks a little bit, you know, the, when he has those massive kind of outbursts of the, kind of like swearing at the guy who's um, calling him like a cult and stuff. And he, um, uh, he shouts at him and Laura Dern, he loses his patience with her as well. And it's all very like a massive outburst. Um, but one thing that really, really stuck with me is that bit when um, Freddie drives off on the bike yes and, and it yes. just it's that close-up on his face and you can see he's realizing he's like he's not coming back he's not coming back but still even though he knows in his head he's he's gone he's not going to hear me he still has to like shout so he but he hesitates you know he puts his hands to his mouth and he goes to shout and he's like oh no but then he's got that ego it's like i have to i have to try and do something it's like, Freddy! um <laughs> i thought yeah i thought that was um I thought, yeah, no, I, I, it is a, it is a great performance, definitely. But yeah, maybe just didn't strike a chord as, as strongly with me. But no, definitely, definitely brilliant. Um, for 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 me in that role, his lack of compassion, but also it, it's such a weird role, right? Yeah. Because he has this hold on Freddy where he feels like he is better than him, and he is nothing but a a a, a mere pet. And then on the other hand, one loves their pet, right? So there's this always this like push and pulling of emotions that you can so clearly see that he does so well where, yes, he thinks Freddy is below him, but there's also this like mentor mentee love that he has to him. And at the end, I remember when he comes back, there's just this great scene um, where he's like, oh, you're back, you know, but he doesn't want to give away that he's happy that he's back, but then yeah. he's not really back. It's just that whole thing. It's just layers and layers and layers of of acting craft is yeah. is is on top of their performances. And that's that's why I just think it's that's why it's my number one. <laughs> so yeah that's that's all of our um top fives um after kind of just talking to each other is i know this is kind of you know again if we did this these lists again tomorrow they might be completely different but you guys happy happy still with your top fives you think you wish you'd maybe put someone else in there or any changes at all or are you you kind of pretty happy with it i'll stick with mine i liked it yeah. i think i did a good job i put i put the effort in really steady <laughs> you I really did the tape. you watched all the films yeah definitely I, I'm pretty happy with mine too. I think um, talking about everyone's top five and even going into detail about some of our honorable mentions, um, I, I think I appreciate some of the actors more than than initially what I thought. Um, like um, like Vicky Crepes and. Um, uh, not that I thought she was bad or anything like that, but um, also definitely 
Josh Brolin with the passion that you talk about him, Steve. I I, I feel like I have to develop a, a more love for him. <laughs> um, I feel like I definitely need to give uh, the master a couple more tries after after this as well. Um, uh, yeah, the way you guys talked about. Uh, well, everybody in it, I think, uh, yeah. No, I think it maybe just, you know, sometimes films take a two or three times to really sink in with you. So I think I got, that's definitely one I need, definitely one I need to have a, have a couple of goes with. Um, but yeah, no, well, thank you guys so much for your, for your top fives there. Um, I really appreciate all the time today. The one last thing I was just going to ask was, um, what's, uh, what's next from you guys? What, what can we expect on the, on the next episode? Uh, well, what Thursday we have uh, Moonrise Kingdom coming out. Of course, it's your King, it... Kingdom season. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's um, so well and, thought and... out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, David came up with the idea to do a Kingdom month, uh, which involves all the titles of movies we review to have Kingdom in, and he has three of them on DVD. And it's like, oh man, there's you know we we got to get one more, we got to get four in a month, and so we racked our brains to try to think of a of a fourth kingdom movie and then we were like oh, moonrise kingdom <laughs> perfect we'll do that one and then of course this this guy david won't let me watch the readily available um theatrical cut of kingdom of heaven so i have to now track down uh really scott's um director's director cut, director cut. cut. okay and well, so we're gonna do that. Af- they're completely different movies. So yeah, I get that. I get that. So that. So so yeah. Moonrise Kingdom is uh, this Thursday, and then Kingdom of Heaven is the Thursday after. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, yeah. Cool. Look forward to look forward to those. And um, yeah, just finally one last time. Thank you so much, guys, for for coming on to the podcast and being uh, being my first guest. And um, I kept you for about three hours, so I do really much appreciate your time. Uh, you guys must be starving. So no, thank you so much for for your time today. <laughs> no, it was a blast. Yeah, it was um, it it was really fun talking about films in in this way, but also with like a a very new perspective. So yeah, we had a we had a blast brilliant thanks guys thank you so much so there you have it episode eight of for me these films are the juice and the first episode with with guests on um i hope everyone really enjoyed it i hope everyone enjoyed listening to to david and alan um having other voices on the episode rather than just myself um and i hope you enjoyed our uh, discussion about paul thomas anderson and the performances in his films um if you do have any feedback if you want to drop it drop us um a line with your own top five performances feel free to do so um you can uh, obviously drop us uh, a message on, on Twitter or Instagram or um, anywhere you can add comments on the um, podcast platform that you might be listening to the episode on just please feel free to do so it'd be great to hear from you and um, and yeah as I say I hope you really enjoyed the, the episode um, the next episode will be out in April and um, 
as mentioned on the on the podcast, uh, my guests will be Aaron and Charles from the Art House Drive-In Picture Show. Um, really looking forward to having them on the podcast. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Cool Hand Luke. Um, so, uh, so yeah, really looking forward to doing a bit of preparation for that one and then recording with them uh, in April and, and getting that episode out to you guys as well. Um, so, yeah, as always, um, keep safe, keep well and uh, keep on trucking. Speak to you soon.